Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of The Divine Lantern, a continuation in our series Serving the Community, presented by our very own Chudias of the Archdiocese. With the blessing of His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, the Antiochian Orthodox Archdiocese presents a podcast to educate, empower and enrich. I'm Jonathan from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth and I'll be your host for this week. Today we'll be joined by Khudia Natalie in part 3 of our series, who'll speak about the ministry of Saint Emilia. Before we go on to learn about Christ in the Psalms, celebrate a key date in the Orthodox calendar and answer one of your questions, today's one on the Jesus Prayer. As always, if you've got a question you'd like answered, shoot it through to tdl at antiochian.org.au. For now though, settle in and enjoy. Christ is risen. Thank you to His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios for His blessing to be part of this series with my fellow Khuriyas and the Divine Lantern podcast team. I have been asked to speak about the life and ministry of Saint Emilia. Saint Emilia is a very dear saint to me personally. Not only is she an incredible saint in our church, but she is also the patron saint of our Archdiocese Young Mothers Group and for very good reason. I'm excited to share her inspiring story of faith, sacrifice and ministry with you. So let's start by looking at her life. The holy and righteous Saint Emilia was the daughter of a martyr and the daughter-in-law of Macarena, the elder. One of the most remarkable aspects of Saint Emilia's life was her role as a mother. Along with her husband, Saint Basil the elder, she gave birth to 10 children. She instilled the orthodox faith in her children, teaching them to pray and devote their lives to the service of the church. As a result of her zealous yet maternal instruction of her children, five of them are commemorated as saints in our church calendar. Saint Macrina, Saint Basil, Saint Peter of Sebast, Saint Gregory of Nyssa and Saint Theosebia, a deaconess. As such, Saint Emilia is often referred to as the mother of saints. When her son Lucretius suddenly died at the age of 27, she was consoled by her eldest daughter Macrina. Macrina reminded her that it was not befitting to a Christian to mourn as those who have no hope and inspired her to hope courageously in the resurrection vouchsafed to us by the Pascha of our Lord. After her children left home, Saint Emilia was persuaded by Macrina to forsake the world. Together they founded a monastery for women. Emilia divided the family property among her children, retaining only some meagre possessions. She and Macrina withdrew to a secluded family property in Pontus, located on the banks of the Iris River and not far from Saint Basil's wilderness home. A number of liberated female slaves desired to join the pair, and a convent was formed. They lived under one roof and held everything in common. They ate, worked, and prayed together. They were so eager to advance in virtue that they regarded fasting as food and poverty as riches. The harmony of this model community of women was unspoiled by anger, 
jealousy, hatred or pride. Indeed, as the church sings of monastics, they lived like angels in the flesh. Living in this manner for many years, Saint Amelia reached an old age. When an illness signalled her departure from this world, her son Peter came to her side. Together with Macrina, he tended to his mother in her last days. As the oldest and the youngest, Macrina and Peter held a special place in Saint Amelia's heart. Before committing her soul to the Lord, she raised her voice to heaven, saying, To you, O Lord, I give the first fruits and the tithe of the fruit of my womb. The first fruit is my firstborn daughter, and the tithe is this, my youngest son. Let these be for you a rightly acceptable sacrifice, and let your holiness descend upon them. Saint Amelia was buried, as she had requested, beside her husband in the chapel of their estate in Annecy, where Nocratius had also been laid. So why did we choose Saint Amelia as our young mum's group patron? Bestowed the title the Mother of Saints, she serves as a remarkable role model to any mother, whether to one child or ten. As an orthodox mother, our main duty and goal extends far beyond the exhausting physical, mental and emotional care of our children. Our ultimate work and legacy lies in the spiritual state of our children's lives. It is St. John Chrysostom who elevated motherhood to something beyond the mundane daily care of children and into the realm of spiritual significance. Directing his remarks at mothers in a homily, he said, I mean, the children being born, provided they receive proper care and are brought up to virtue by your attention, prove a basis and occasion of complete salvation for you. And in addition to your own virtuous acts, you will receive a great reward for your care of them. St. John Chrysostom saw motherhood as a salvific opportunity and as a vocation that can lead to the heavenly reward for both mother and child. St. John instructs mothers in another homily that they are to let everything take second place to our care of our children our bringing them up to the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If from the beginning we teach them to love true wisdom, they will have more wealth and glory than riches can ever provide. Finally, St. John also reminds us that our spontaneous prayers as mothers are powerful on their own. Whatever words we choose, it is our sacred responsibility as mothers to bless and consecrate our children by praying for them. As Khuriye Mandy touched on in her podcast, as mothers, we can be distracted and focused on the care of our children, especially at church, and not as focused as we had been in services attended before children. However, the fact that we are there, exposing our children to the richness and glory of our church, is prayer in itself. Christ taught us, there is a time to reap and a time to sow. And as mothers, our life is spent sowing and growing our little seeds in the hope that they will reap salvation. Saint Amelia did just this. She recognized immediately her duty and obligation to her family. She instilled in them the true faith, teaching them to pray and how to devote their lives to Christ above all things, not only in instruction, but by living this all herself. In today's world, we have a lot of distractions primarily from screens and devices, but also 
it extends to social obligations that very often eat into our Sundays and other holy days of the year. While Saint Amelia didn't have Instagram, TikTok or soccer games to fend off, she surely did have other distractions, such as the persecution of her faith, the threat of their lives and the general daily caring and social obligations of her time to also compete with. Yet, in her heart and mind, these were all fleeting things that would one day pass, but her family's eternal salvation was the main goal. The saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child. Even the wonderful Saint Amelia had this behind her. Sadly, in our modern day and age, we often do not have this village of like-minded villages in close proximity or availability. Weekdays are filled with appointments, schoolwork and structured activities. Weekends are jam-packed with events and extracurriculars, leaving little time for the maintenance of relationships with family and church friends. We don't have a village because life in our modern world has disconnected us. Even more so, COVID caused a huge shift in social bonds and connections, which has changed the future for our children. These are the reasons St. Amelia's Young Mums Group was established back in 2018. Under the support and patronage of His Eminence Metropolitan Basilios, we form this opportunity for young mums already disconnected from much of the world to meet up on a regular basis with other mothers in our Archdiocese, to connect, get to know and support one another and to gain some spiritual nourishment. Mothers are pivotal in the church congregation and in most cases, mothers maintain the bringing of a child to church, educating them spiritually and fostering a love for God from an early age. Unfortunately, mothers rarely get a break to attend spiritual talks, activities or to listen to Sunday sermons as they are always attending to their children. In some cases, mothers are made to feel unwelcome in their own parishes by other parishioners through comments or stares at them and their children. If a mother is not made welcome, the entire family feels the impact. Given this reality, there is a need to cater to mothers in another way. Our group is open to all mothers, with young children in the Archdiocese. By young, we mean from babies to high school age. Mothers are welcome to attend with or without their children as the focus of the group is for the mental, physical and spiritual well-being of the mother. Orthodox mothers work their fingers to the bone. Cooking, cleaning, nursing, chauffeuring, disciplining, comforting, wiping noses, kissing wars, praying with their children and teaching their children things from fractions and physics to the Orthodox faith. They pour themselves out like a daily drink offering giving every last drop of their energy for the well-being of their families. They work three times as long and hard as anyone with a full-time job, and they usually do it without pay, without vacation, without recognition, and without thanks, with some even working a full-time job on top of all of this. Mothers of our Archdiocese, you are doing an incredible job. You're humble, loving and patient work on behalf of our Lord and your family may not be seen but will be recognised by God. The very future of our society depends on your faithfulness. The work you do for your husband and your children matters.
May Saint Amelia be an inspiration and a confirmation to you as you dedicate your life to the eternal life of your children. Saint Amelia's Young Mums Group is your village. When you need support, nourishment and social connections with others who get your struggle and understand your faith and the why of it all, you are welcome there. We meet at 10am on the first Thursday morning of each month at the Antiochian Youth Centre in Punchbowl and would love to meet you and grow our families together. Speakers range from psychologists to physiotherapists, dietitians and even sleep specialists. Some months we have workshops and other activities and sometimes playgroups just to chat and for the kids to play. It is an informal setting so it's okay if your kid is the noisy one. We all get it. We share a morning tea together and mums come and go as they need. The life of Saint Amelia reminds us of the profound influence mothers can have in shaping the faith of their children and the broader community. Her commitment to Christ, her dedication to service and her love for others serve as a powerful model for us all. Saint Amelia's ministry extended beyond her immediate family to the church in a dedication of her time and resources to the care of the poor and sick as well as to the mentoring of other women in the community, guiding them in faith and providing support in times of difficulty. She understood the importance of building a strong community and fostering unity among believers. It is from her life work that we have formed and set the goal and purpose of our Young Mums Group. As we gather in our Archdiocese Mothers Group, we reflect on the life and ministry of Saint Amelia. May we draw inspiration from her faith, her selflessness and her unwavering commitment to Christ. Like her, may we strive to be a light in our homes, our communities and the world. Saint Amelia's life teaches us that through faith and love, we can make a profound impact on the world around us. Her feast day, along with her husband Saint Basil the Elder and her mother-in-law Saint Macrina the Elder, is actually coming up next week on Tuesday the 30th of May. I wish all those who bear the name Amelia a blessed name day. May Saint Amelia intercede, inspire and protect the families of our Archdiocese always. Amen. Thank you, Khuriya. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. And now, let's explore the profound wisdom and guidance found in the writings of the Holy Neptic Fathers as we hear this week's Philocalic Nourishment. So take a deep breath, clear your mind, and let's begin. Prayer is the common work of angels and men, and nothing separates their respective natures in regard to prayer. It sets you apart from the irrational beasts, and it unites you with the angels, Saints Callistos and Ignatios. Almsgiving heals the soul's insensitive power, fasting withers sensual desire, prayer purifies the intellect and prepares it for the contemplation of created beings. For the Lord has given us commandments which correspond to the powers of the soul, 
Saint Maximus the Confessor. Reject all thoughts of greed, and you will be able to see the devil's tricks. He who says he knows all the devil's tricks falls unknowingly into his trap. Saint Mark the Ascetic. On May 28, in the Holy Orthodox Church, we commemorate the Hieromata Eutychus, a bishop of Miletin, Hilaconus of Thessalonica. On this day, the seventh Sunday of Pascha, we celebrate the first ecumenical council of the 318 God-bearing fathers, which took place in Nicaea, in Bithynia. O light-bearing stars of the spiritual firmament, enlighten my mind with your rays. Calling the Son a stranger to the Father's essence, Arius proved to be a stranger to God's glory. Arius the notorious heretic began to blaspheme against God and his Son the Word, saying that the latter was not God consubstantial with the Father, but that he was created as a stranger to the substance of the Father and his glory. Alexander, the Archbishop of Alexandria, tried to constrain Arius from disturbing the faithful with this teaching. Even though Alexander excommunicated him, Arius did not seize his blasphemy, which spread through the church in all nations. Thus, Emperor Constantine the Great called the first ecumenical council, which gathered bishops and teachers in the church from all lands. They all proclaimed as by one mouth the equity of the Son of God with the Father in substance, thus laying down the noble confession of faith, the creed, which we Orthodox Christians recite to this day. The Church regards these Divine Fathers as preachers of the faith next to the Holy Apostles. By the intercessions of the 318 God-bearing Fathers, O Christ God, have mercy on us. Amen. What's the Jesus Prayer? Glory to your holy right.
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is the shortest and yet most powerful prayer commonly known as the Jesus Prayer and the Prayer of the Heart. The Jesus Prayer is also an arrow prayer, a weapon used against the demons. Anytime we have a tempting thought, it cuts through like an arrow. It's a wonderful thing to have a prayer like this readily available in our mind at all times of the day, especially when we know we're about to walk into a tough meeting at work handling a difficult conversation, or when we may feel lost. It is a way to carry Christ with us in all our moments of our busy lives. St. Isaac of Syria says that it is impossible to draw near to God by any means other than increasing prayer. The Jesus Prayer is one that can be used at all times of the day and is a tool for us to pray without ceasing, as St. Paul commissions us to do in his letter to the Thessalonians. The words of the Jesus Prayer are based on scriptural texts. We hear mention of it within the parable of the blind man sitting at the side of the road near Jericho, and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The ten lepers who call to him, Jesus, master, take pity on us. And the cry for mercy of the publican, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The prayer is also known to be as old as the church. We see from the time of our early church fathers to now the practice of the Jesus Prayer. St. Anthony the Great, known as the father of monastics, used it along with the prayer rope to count how many prayers he said, now a common practice used by many faithful Christians. Often within a monastery, but also used among the faithful of the church, the prayer can also be said during physical labour like gardening, house chores or even cooking. It is recommended to use this prayer in conjunction with the advice of your parish priest or spiritual father to offer direction on how many should be said. When we utter the words of the Jesus Prayer, we recognise a few important factors. We proclaim the Trinity and also confess our faith when we say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. We remember that we are sinners when we say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And we also recognise that we are in need of his mercy but also that he has the power to give us this mercy, as long as we open our hearts to him and ask him for it through prayer and action. The actual words of the Jesus Prayer may vary to be slightly shorter, and we can say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we may also use this prayer to pray for our brethren, saying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on your servant, and insert their name. However, we may take this prayer to the next level, and keep those whom we want to pray for in our hearts, and do as St. Pephorios in his book Wounded by Love instructs us to do. Pray for others more than yourself. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, and you will always have others in your mind. We are all children of the same Father. We are all one. And so when we pray for others, we say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, and not have mercy on them. In this way, we make them one 
with ourselves. The book titled The Way of the Pilgrim, which is based on a pilgrim wanting to learn how to pray without ceasing, discovers the Jesus Prayer and is taught to pray and the prayer will teach us to pray. We are all pilgrims on this earth while we await our eternal home in the heavenly kingdom and the Jesus Prayer is a tool that can be used with a prayer rope to help us contemplate and become more open to the will of God. The following segment is called Christ in the Psalms. Traditionally called Songs of Praise, the Psalms are often attributed to King David, though some were written by different authors. Various Psalms and verses are used in all our liturgical services, and so are imperative to the Orthodox Christian. Psalm 6 O Lord, do not reprove me in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled, and my soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, and deliver my soul. Save me because of your mercy. For there is no remembrance of you in death, and in Hades who will give thanks to you. I am weary with my groaning. Every single night I will dampen my bed. I will drench my couch with my tears. My eye is troubled by anger. I grow old among all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of lawlessness, for the Lord heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord heard my supplication. The Lord received my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be suddenly ashamed. Christ in the Psalms, Psalm 6. O Lord, do not rebuke me. Psalm 6 is the first and shortest of what are known as the seven penitential psalms, canticles of contrition and lamentation accompanied by pleas for the divine forgiveness. This psalm begins with a forceful recognition of the divine wrath. It is the second time that God's wrath is mentioned in the book of Psalms. Psalm 2 had already spoken of God's anger toward the rebellious. In the present psalm, however, it is the psalmist himself who fears this wrath of God, and prays to be delivered from it. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your fierce displeasure. Such a prayer suggests that only the grace of God can deliver us from the wrath of God. The divine wrath is not some sort of irritation. God does not become peeved or annoyed. The wrath of God is infinitely more serious than a temper tantrum. It is a deliberate resolve in response to a specific state of the human soul. In Romans, where the expression appears 12 times, the anger of God describes his activity toward the heart of heart, the unrepentant, those sinners who turn their backs and deliberately refuse his grace. And it is surely in this sense that our psalm asks to be delivered from God's wrath. It is important to make such a prayer, because hardness of heart remains a possibility for all of us to the very day we die. Perhaps the seriousness of such a prayer will appear more clearly if we reflect on exactly what Holy Scripture says about the divine wrath. The latter pertains, after all, 
to the divine revelation itself. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. God's wrath is not something we need to guess about. It is revealed, and how revealed? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This deliberate hardness of heart, this radical recalcitrance to grace, is the sin that calls down the wrath of God, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Three times in this passage, the Apostle Paul pounds the point home, God gave them up. In this, then, consists the wrath of God, that he turns man loose, that he lets man go, hands him over, that he abandons man to his own choice of evil. The full context of this passage deserves deep reflection because the moral evils to which God delivers the heart of heart appear to be the very vices characteristic of our own times. These verses describe in graphic detail exactly what happens when God gives them up, and no attentive reader of this text will fail to recognize in a deep description of the world in which we live today. Every deliberate and willful sin is a step in the direction of hardness of heart. Psalm 6, as a penitential psalm, takes sin very seriously. The sin spoken of here is deliberate, willful. It is not just a mistake. It is not something for which we simply apologize. It is, rather, a voluntary affront to God's image in us. The taking away of sin required the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. This fact itself tells us how serious is this whole business of sin. Sin has entered deeply into human experience, and it has left human beings in a very weakened state. It is felt in our inner frame, our very bones, as it were. The psalm goes on, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. Sin has entered deeply into human experience, and it has left human beings in a very weakened state. It is felt in our inner frame, our very bones, as it were. The psalm goes on, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. The psalmist then speaks of death. For by sin, death entered into the world. Death is sin rendered visible. What we see death do to the body, sin does to the soul. Death is the externalizing of sin. Death is no friend. Apart from Christ, the Bible sees death as the realm where God is not praised, as a bitter fruit of sin. Death is the enemy. Indeed, it is the last enemy, says 1 Corinthians 15.26. When the psalmist then prays for deliverance from death, he is talking about a great deal more than a physical phenomenon. Death is the last enemy the physical symbol of our sinful alienation from God. For in death there is no memory of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Sin and death then form the context of this psalm, and these are the forces of Satan. Sin, death and Satan, such are the enemies which the psalmist speaks. 
My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Even as he makes this plea for mercy, nonetheless, the man of faith already knows that God hears him. For the Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Thank you again for tuning in to another installment of The Divine Lantern. Remember, next episode we'll have part four from our series presented by the Khuriyas on serving the community. For all the latest news and updates about our Archdiocese, please visit www.antiochian.org.au. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Have a blessed day and we hope to catch you next week.